0: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message. They will get back to you. 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon, all one word, dot com. You can listen to old shows there and also ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Good morning, Andy. Good to see you today. Good morning, Scott. Good morning, Scott creating your own retirement paycheck yeah I thought this was the end of paychecks that's
1: right there's no more this is it and uh, you know it's if if you're in your 50s or in your 60s and you haven't retired yet you're probably starting to get a vision of what retirements starting to look like hmm. maybe some plans about whether it's travel where you're going to live lifestyle issues and that type of thing but do you know how much your retirement paycheck is going to be hmm. And that's the transition that's always fascinating to me and creates, the it's the, probably the greatest opportunity from a financial planning standpoint is to help people with that process because we're so used to typically getting one paycheck, maybe a bonus at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And now as you transition to retirement, you're going to be receiving multiple different sources of income, different times, different amounts. And so what used to be very predictable, is uh, start, it, it seems to be a little less predictable. Right. And so really the question becomes as you... As you start to, your retirement starts to unfold is how much income will I get? How much do I actually need to do what we want to do? And then how long will it last? Mm -hmm. And, you know, today when Don and I are are looking at uh, retirement planning, it's really about How do we create, if you're retiring at age 60, let's say, or 65, what we call a two-person, 30-year retirement? Mm -hmm. Basically, how can we get two people through 30 years of retirement and make sure it all works out as best possible? And it was uh, this past week. As we were socializing, and as I always do, I'm always asking people about what's going on in their financial world, what's sort of top of mind, and and the discussion about retirement came up, and, and this concept that I we've used for years, retirement paycheck, and I said to the one my one friend, um, you know, well, why aren't why wouldn't you re- can you retire now? And he said, well, I don't know. He was complaining about work. It was mm. based, there was no end in sight. Yeah. It was the daily grind and he was just saying, oh, I wish I could just retire. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, well, why don't you retire? He said, well, I don't know if I have enough, yeah. right? Is it enough? And and then we got into a further discussion and he shared a story, which I find is so typical, but boy, it really hits home. And it turns out, so years ago, his, his parents had divorced, so this is back about 30 20, 20 years ago, let's say. And they're in their 80s. So they were retired when they, when they divorced. Really, And, um, and so what had happened was that his father, when he, under the divorce separation, he basically kept the pensions that he had accumulated, uh, over the years. So he was getting pension and the mother received cash, a big pile of cash as part of her settlement. So mm-hmm. you get an income, she gets assets and cash. And so as we were talking about retirement and and what I see so often is people underliving, you know, they get to the end of their life and they've got all kinds of money left over still and they think, boy, I could have spent more or I should have spent more or given more away. And he said, that's totally my mom. My mom is underliving right now. She has a lovely home in Oakville and she has investments, Mm -hmm. but she's afraid to spend. She yeah. doesn't know how much to spend yeah. because she still feels in, like in her, in her late 70s now, you know, I should say that she's, you know, there's still time left to do yeah. things and travel. Active, yeah, yeah but, but so how much do I spend? And so, but she's really, he feels she's really restricting herself in terms of what she could be doing. And uh, on the other hand, his dad is doing all kinds of stuff traveling, spending money, enjoying it. Maybe that's it. why
0: they're not together anymore. No.
1: <laughs> no worries. And that that may be part of it. But but what the reality that I said to him is that so often as I see people who have a defined benefit pension plan yeah. where they were receiving that regular monthly check every single month. So that in this case, that's the dad. Every month, another check rolls yeah. in from his pension company, whether he lives to 105 or 90 it, yeah. it, it, and it'll end. But in the meantime, he never has to think about where's that next check coming from yeah. and how much could I spend of it? Because right. there's another one on the horizon. Mm-hmm. The mom, on the other hand, had a small pensions from, you know, Canada pension plan and her old age security. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's all derived from taking money out of her investments. Right. So it's a much different feeling. And yeah. as you get older-
0: One's trying to make it last, one's got a continuous stream. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And
1: so, you, you know, the they-, they basically she has uh, resisted spending the money because she doesn't know how long it's going to last. So this process that we go through in terms of creating that monthly paycheck, um, you know, today more and more of us are retiring with a pile of money that we've saved mm-hmm. versus a pension plan where we get a regular check every month. Right. And so, you know, as you get older and you start, you actually start to see the, the pile maybe you're starting to use it up and it's going down. And what does that feel like? Yeah. Now, if you think about it, when you're in a defined benefit pension plan, the same thing's happening. Your actual, the the what we'd call a commuted value or the dollar value of your pension amount is actually going down in terms of what the capital is there. Mm-hmm. You just never see that because yeah. you get a regular monthly check. Yeah. Same things happening. It's just hidden and insulated. So, um, I, I think the really that comes down to there's sort of four steps that we that we think about from. Um, Uh, building this process, the first step is understanding what is Canada's retirement income system. And the system is made up of pretty much three tiers. The first tier is the government systems, and that's your old age security, Canada pension plan, guaranteed income supplements, uh, an allowance, and... um, and Canada Pension Plan as well. So old age security, which everybody can take starting at age sixty-five, or they can defer it till age seventy, is about seven grand a year. Mm-hmm. And is if you've been here in Canada for at least ten years beyond the age of eighteen, mm-hmm. and you're sixty-five now, you can get some Canada uh, old age security. If you've been here kind of forty years, you're going to get the maximum uh, mm-hmm. of seven grand a year. When your income reaches about 75,000, your other income, uh, then you begin to get your old age security clawed back right. at a rate of 15 cents on the dollar, 15%. Mm-hmm. That means if that-
0: making, If you've got over seventy-five 000, Over
1: 75 grand of income. Right. If your income reaches 120 grand, that wipes out your old age security altogether. So it is subject to a clawback or an income test. and um, But a lot of people come to us and part of that creating that retirement paycheck is understanding how to avoid that clawback in the process, Mm -hmm. um, guaranteed income supplement and guaranteed income supplement that's available to to those who have less or very little income other than their old age security. And today the GIS guaranteed income supplement for an individual is up to about $17,000 of income not including your old age security. So really that works out to about 24 grand total of income. Uh, You can no longer get guaranteed income supplement. So under 24 grand, you're going to get some. So I had an example of uh, a client who had um, sold their home, retired. We're now living in a um, retirement residence. And Canada pension plan was about 7,000 a year. Old age security was 7,000 a year. And interest and dividends was seven thousand a year, twenty one thousand a year, and they were entitled to about hundred and fifty bucks of guaranteed income supplement. But there's some twists and turns we can do on that, particularly when they earn interest income. So basically they, they subtract the $7,000 of old age security. So that left 14,000 of income. And then you look up basically on a grid system, they Mm -hmm. tell you exactly how much guaranteed income supplement you would get. So in addition to your old age security, let's say it was your old age security is about 550 a month. You'd get another 150 on top of that. So they top Mm -hmm. you up to 700 a month. Right. Okay. Um, but if you can change or eliminate the interest income and convert that to something that we call return of capital, which is tax-free, instead of taking your interest, you take your capital first, mm-hmm. and there's no uh, taxable amount to you, then your actual taxable income would drop by another 7000 in that example, and your, your um, guaranteed income supplement jumps to $469. So there are ways to enhance your income. You just have to be very careful if you're in that sort of $24,000, you know, anywhere between right. 15 and $30,000 of income, mm-hmm. guaranteed income supplement at age 65 is available. You just have to focus on where and how to, how to create that, uh, Canada pension plan. We've talked a lot about Canada pension plan. You can start as early as age 60 and then, uh, as late as age 70 and <coughs> a lot of times people really don't know what they're going to be getting. Yeah. So part of the process in creating your retirement paycheck is going online or requesting from the government uh, what is going to be an estimate of my Canada pension plan at 65. Right. And then from there, we can kind of work back and understand the, the pros and cons, whether taking more, taking it earlier or taking it later. And finally, the one other government benefit is something called the allowance. And an allowance is an additional amount. So in addition to your... Uh, that guaranteed income supplement or as it replaces that it's if you're between age 60 and 64 so you haven't reached 65 yet and you're a widow or widower Mm -hmm. you can apply for the allowance if you're under a low income uh threshold too so that's tier one government benefits tier two is uh your private pension plan Mm -hmm. so your private pension plan is either A defined benefit plan, maybe you're in a teacher or many, um, government positions where you know what you're going to get based on years of service Mm -hmm. and that we can certainly factor in, in terms of understanding how does that build your retirement paycheck. Mm -hmm. And there may be indexing to that, or there may not be indexing. There may be survivor benefits. So if you die early, uh, what does your spouse get? What does it carry on at 50%, a hundred percent or anywhere in between and what are your options there? And then, um the defined contribution plan is where you're putting a chunk of money in every month off your pay, your company's typically matching that, Mm -hmm. and then at the end of the day, you end up with a pile of cash in their investments, and now you need to convert that to an income as well. How much do you take out, et cetera? We'll talk a little bit about that later. And then, um, so that's uh, tier two, your private pensions. And then tier three is personal savings. Mm -hmm. And personal savings is... You know, th- there's a lot of different options there. It could be your own RSP money. That would be RSPs, yep. right? Yeah. Your tax free mm-hmm. savings accounts, maybe extra real estate or rental income you might have. If you had a holding company or you're a business where you're now, you have shares, maybe you're mm-hmm. receiving dividends from your business or just non registered investments. there's a lot of different types of sources of income that can be derived from your personal savings. So it's a function of looking at. What, which ones should we draw from, what is the most tax-efficient way to do it, how long and how much will we draw from each of those areas. Right. Okay. So those are the three sort of legs of the, of the income stool, the government benefits, the private your private pension, and then your personal savings. So we kind of start to pull those together and we get a picture of how much income you can potentially draw, but we kind of got to work backwards a little bit and figure out, well, what do we actually need?
0: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And also take a peek at the website, andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can even ask a question there via the Listener Inquiry button. Going to take a quick break. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services Inc. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. You can also check out the website Andy and Don, all one word, andyanddon.com. You can check out all show old shows there and also ask a question via the listener inquiry button. We're talking about creating a retirement paycheck for
1: yeah. yourself. So we talked about the first step, which was uh, basically understanding what your income sources are and the three levels there, the government benefits, your private pension, and your personal savings. In step two, we're trying to get at sort of what income can you expect or what income do you need. And then there's some rules of thumbs on this, but you know, if you think about uh, the old sort of standby with 70 to 80% of mm-hmm. your income, earning, your income earning years, you would need during your retirement years. So if Mm -hmm. you made a hundred thousand a year, maybe you need 70 or 80 as your gross income during retirement. Um, and I can, although that's true. And and I think for people who are very good at analyzing and understanding what they're spending they Mm -hmm. do a good job of tracking it, then they'll probably be able to come up with a harder, faster number. But for the average person, I would think that you'd probably start at 80% of your income. And, and in many cases, a hundred percent replace what you had before. Cause it's often, it's surprising to me how, you know, your income that you're receiving, it gets used, yeah. uh, you know, you're putting aside money for savings, et cetera. But, um, uh, there's always ways to find, to spend it. That's, oh, yeah. I think at the end of the day, that's mm-hmm. probably true. Um, so, but the strategy around your investments and then how to customize a withdrawal for getting the money out of your investments is key. And so we use a couple of tools that have been scientifically part of our research and one is called our longevity income, longevity charts. And what we're using in these charts is a sort of marrying together. What is your risk tolerance or are you very conservative mm-hmm. or perhaps aggressive or maybe you're moderate? And that dictates a, a model for your portfolio. So if we just took the me, the middle ground and we said someone was a moderate investor and they had 60% of their money in stocks, 40% in bonds, that's a moderate style uh, investing. Now you begin to think about, well, how much money can I take out of that portfolio? Remember, I'm gonna come back to my comment about a two person, 30 year retirement. Mm-hmm. So in our charts, we look at that 30 year period. I want this money to last at least 30 years. And I want to know how, what's the percentage or what are the odds that I'm going to make it? Mm-hmm. What's the chance that I'll get to the 30 years and still have something left over?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And the percent, we usually put a percentage to it. So you're going to be a hundred percent sure mm-hmm. or you might be 50% sure. And depending on that level of assuredness, you're going to feel a little more comfortable or less comfortable. We might want to adjust what we're taking out. So when I was looking at our chart, in someone who, let's say, was 60 years old, 30 years takes him to age 90, and that's a 60 40 split with 2% inflation. If they withdrew 3.5% of your portfolio, so if you had a million dollars, you take out 35,000, you will have a 95% chance that you will succeed right through to age 90, right. not run out of money. So that's pretty darn good. That's, mm-hmm. think about these in terms of a weather report. It's a, it's not a bad analogy, but if the weatherman said it's a 95% chance of rain today, gonna you're going to bring your umbrella. Yeah. It's going to rain, get the coat, be prepared. So it's going to happen, right? Which means you're going to be fine. Um, if you took 4%, so you want to take 40,000 a year, that drops to 80%. So we're 80% sure. Again, we're pretty much in the zone yeah. where it's likely going to happen, right? We're going to bring our rain uh, raincoat or umbrella for sure. If you take five percent, so now we're at fifty thousand a year on your million dollars. We're at sixty-five percent. Ooh, sixty-five percent. Well, what does that mean? Well, there's a chance then, and what that might reality might be is that it could run out, and uh, and in many cases that means that maybe there's another, maybe the home is still an asset and you've been living in your home, but you've used up your investments. Right. And so maybe that's the time we would see that in our in our analysis There'd be a, kind of a crossover point mm-hmm. where the money runs out and now you need to do something and that would probably mean you'd have to sell your home. Right. Okay. And then finally at, at five and a half percent, so you're taking 55,000 a year out of your million dollar moderate portfolio, you would have a 50-50 chance. Hmm. So odds are, uh, you could flip a coin, it might last, it might not last. Definitely in this scenario, you should be prepared to be selling your home down the road right. or looking for other sources, or maybe you're going to have to reduce or modify your lifestyle at that point. Mm-hmm. So depending on your level of confidence or comfort with what those mean to you and what that might mean in terms of selling your home, et cetera, down the road, then those payouts can be very um, they're fine. They yeah. can be sustainable mm-hmm. and, but they do form a big part of the analysis for us to understand how much should you take? How long will it last? And what comfort level do we have in terms of being confident that you're going to make it through that two person, 30 year retirement? So that's, that's the phase of, uh, of using, of drawing out the money and understanding how much you can take. And it, it's the, but the big key thing is really kind of figuring out again, how much do you actually need? And so you've got things that, expenses that are kind of, um, things that are going to decrease or be eliminated. So you're not going to be contributing to your pension plan anymore. Mm. You're not going to be commuting anymore. Um, there might be maybe one car instead of two cars. Um, but basically you're going to need money for love, uh, money for love, money for living. We always (laughs) need money for that, Andy.
0: (laughs) Make sure you have a separate column for that.
1: (laughs) That's, that's, or maybe that's the money for fun category. That's I don't it, know. It, yeah, same thing. Yeah, <laughs> that'll do. Money for living and money for fun. And then there's the, always these that one off. For example, we met with a couple um, last week and uh, there's going to be three weddings on the horizon. Oh. So now we got to attach a number to that because- Last thing I want to do is see our clients, retired clients, suddenly having to have a $50,000 line of credit to cover off a, a, a couple of weddings. Right? Boy, a
0: wedding will kill your retirement just like that aye, one.
1: Aye, aye. Yeah, so um, maybe there shouldn't be money for love.
0: Yeah, really. <laughs> Use the wedding money for the down payment.
1: Okay, there we go. Um, and car replacement, car replacement is a big factor is again, it's going to be one car, two cars, how often do you replace it? What kind of car do you like to drive? Is it new? Is it used et cetera, et cetera. So, um, it's funny. I saw some clients who had uh, retired and, uh, they bought a a package deal it was a fifth wheel trailer that came with like a ford 250 diesel truck to pull it yeah. and that was the whole rig yeah. they bought the whole package and yeah. uh they've been excited they're off they're, i didn't know my
0: parents were clients
1: <laughs> 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 They camp they've got the campsites figured out where yeah. they're going to be going cool. for the summer etc so that that was a lot of fun um and then as you think about so kind of understanding the fixed costs that what you need to live, the, the fun costs, and then those extras, weddings, car replacements, we can begin to understand, is there a gap in terms of what we thought we could provide in terms of income and what you actually need to spend. And the final one is there's some things that are going to outpace inflation, for example, healthcare costs. Mm-hmm. So is that going to be a factor? How much do we need to sort of be uh, uh, setting aside for or analyzing what would it mean in terms of long-term care or something like that? So we've sort of figured out now, if we've got to the point where we figured out how much you actually need in terms of living, we figured out what you can actually earn from your investments in a safety factor there. And now we might see that there's a gap as well. So how can we fill that gap is going to be part of the process. Maybe you can't be, maybe you need to be a little more aggressive in certain areas, or maybe we need to plan on spending more in a certain phase of your retirement and less in another phase of your retirement. Mm. So there's a number of different strategies we can apply to that. And one of the other key things too is, as you retire, is what we call sequence of returns, and we've talked about that. Yeah. But protecting you in in case Murphy's law kicks in, and the day you retire, you know, one month later, the stock market crashes, or we head into a recession, and valuations drop dramatically, mm-hmm. and and how does that impact your ability to sustain your payouts? Yeah. And that's that's absolutely key too. <clears throat> so uh, things like GICs used to be. A, sort of a standard way to go. It mm-hmm. provided uh, very low risk, but the pr- and they're very safe, but the problem is they, re- they provide such a low rate of return that we've got to be very careful that you're almost on a road to running out of money that much quicker. Mm-hmm. Um, and finally, step three is about being tax efficient. And being tax efficient in your retirement withdrawals, and I know we've spent many shows talking about this, but when do you, how much do you take out of your RRSP? Should you take them out before age 71? When do you take uh, start Canada pension plan? Um, what about tax efficient investments for your savings? Um, return of capital options. So there's, um, you know, should you just take the minimum out of your RIF or should you take more out of your RIF? How should the TFSA be used? Should it come out earlier? Should it come out later? Um, and then what about, could you work part time or will you be working or doing some consulting and how that might factor in as well? So I, it's, it's really the main thing, of those three steps are you end up sort of, I think with a plan in place, a mm-hmm. blueprint that kind of gives you a lot of answers to the question and at least puts a number to what does this look like in mm-hmm. terms of retirement. And finally, the fourth step is what I would call consolidate and simplify. And in consolidating and simplifying, you know, as I said, there's all these different areas where money is going to be coming from in different locations. Um, so often I'll, I'll see clients that have three or four bank accounts or three or four different banking institutions with different accounts. and um, And I'm always saying, listen, I don't care which one you deal with, mm-hmm. but it's going to make life so much easier and more efficient if we can consolidate this down to one account where mm-hmm. you have all your money going in and all your money going out, simplifies transactions, uh, bill payments, all of those things can be automated from that one account. And then in terms of your investments, the the hardest thing as a financial planner is when people have pieces all over the place mm-hmm. and we're trying to structure a proper asset allocation model or an investment model in terms of your risk because what we might have set up based on everything, if something changes, if another advisor changes something over there or you change yeah. something over there on a self-directed plan, we don't know that right away and suddenly your portfolio is out of whack yeah. and and that's where suddenly people can find themselves with a lot more risk than they thought they had. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, maybe a lot, maybe too lower risk.
0: Too many cooks in the kitchen. Yeah, it, it's,
1: yeah. So consolidating, consolidating, simplifying is I think a critical step. And what I think what people find the, one of the greatest benefits from that is how much easier it is to deal with yeah, things yeah. and visualize things. Mm-hmm. Um, tax statements are easier cause you're only getting, you know, you know, four slips instead of 14 slips, it just on and on, it just makes things a lot easier overall. And so that kind of brings us to the final thing, which Don and I talked about, which is you got to have a plan, yeah. right? And how do you then sort of pull all this together and create a plan that is a workable and can you can visualize how do I, what's my retirement paycheck going to look like? And the thing about a plan is that it's, it is great because it really kind of gives us a good plan or base to run on, a track to run on. For the next kind of three to five years, but also looking for the future. Mm-hmm. What are things down the road that we need to be cautious of or aware of? Um, we can illustrate probate taxes. We can illustrate illustrate a long term care need or an extended co- uh, extra cost for a healthcare incident or if you had a stroke or something like that. Mm-hmm. So those are those are also kind of what if scenarios. And then the final thing we other we do in a in a in a comprehensive retirement plan is doing a stress test. We call it our Monte Carlo analysis. Mm-hmm. And this is where we we kill you off early. We let make you die. Uh, l- you live a long, long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, if markets did well or markets did extremely poorly. Did they do well at the beginning of the uh, your retirement, or at the end of the retirement? And so by running hundreds of different what-if scenarios, mm-hmm. we can then add Connect another the layer of right. confidence where we can see, oh, wait a minute, you know what? Based on all of those um, good times, bad times, that we can put another number to it, just like that sort of rain forecast. We mm-hmm. can say, you know, you've got an 80% chance that all of this is going to work out just fine. Yeah. And uh, and that's a number that then we can kind of push a little bit up depending on what we do, spending, etc., or... For those, let's say maybe it comes out, it's only 50, 50 chance. Mm-hmm. Like that's, what does that really mean? What do we have to do to adjust that? And, uh, is that something we should be worried about? Tell us more about that. Mm-hmm. So Monte Carlo analysis is a, is a great piece and it's a good tool for Don and I, cause it, it helps us understand how how we might need to adjust or accommodate let me ask you a question
0: when you are creating that paycheck that replaces the one that you'll get after retirement does it stay the same throughout your retirement or will it fluctuate is it more at the beginning less at the end vice versa
1: i know and i like uh, i like that question because um i this is the tricky part when people retire is i say listen there's three phases. There's the go-go years, the slow go years, and the no-go years. Mm-hmm. So if you're in the go-go phase, right, yeah. you just retired, you do want to think you got about- the camper. You got a camper, get the camper, <laughs> do the things like, yeah. you know, get on with what your plan, what you want to do. So what would it look like if we spent, you know, an extra 20% for the first 10 or 15 years of our retirement? Could we do that mm-hmm. knowing that then- we'll pull back a bit to, you know, we'll drop that extra 20% for the slow go phase. And then the no go phase, um, it's, they're going to be different for everybody, but we can certainly explore that and help people say, here's how much we could spend now. Here's Mm -hmm. how much we could spend in the middle phase. And here's how much maybe you could spend in the ending phase. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think too often, a lot of the planning just looks at, oh, you're going to spend, you know, 5,000 a month. Bam. What's that look like for from age sixty-five to age ninety-five, yeah. with no no reflection or no you know adjustments to more in the early years, mm-hmm. less in the later years. I think that's is part of the. Process. Is it less
0: or more in the sense that you know you maybe have more fun money at the early part, but in the latter part you may need more care. That's
1: right. That's right. So,
0: so maybe a lull in the middle, but you might pick back up again at the end. Yep.
1: Yeah. The care one is an interesting one. So I'm modeling that with some clients recently who are still kind of in the go-go years, mm-hmm. but heading, you know, they can see yeah. the slow-go years are coming. Yeah. And so they said, what if one of us needs long-term care? What does that mean to our plan? So we modeled the last five years. So if they were going to live till 95, from 90 to 95, let's say, you know, Bob is fine, but Betty needs long-term care. Yeah. And so when we pull that together, we can say the actual cost in terms of the difference in your estate, it's going to be this much mm-hmm. if we need that care at the end. So you may have right. been leaving half a million dollars, but now you're only going to be leaving $250,000 because right. of that long-term care need. Right.
0: Yeah. We are planning your financial future. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website, andyanddon.com. That's Andy and Don all one word, dot com. You can listen to old archived shows there and also ask a question via the listener inquiry button. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call them at 905-529-7165. Leave a message. They'll get back to you. And don't forget the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. All right. Uh, getting value for your money through your uh, with a financial planner. Yeah. Fees, that sort of thing.
1: Yeah. I th- and this was an article that was uh, we pulled off from the Globe and Mail. Rob Carrick, one of the uh, columnists there, was putting together some information for, for uh, people individuals, just to think about how do I judge the value?'m I'm, I'm paying fees for my financial planner or my financial advisor. and you know how, how do I know I'm getting value for what I'm paying? And so they came up with 18 questions. and what you want to think about is if you're answering no, Mm -hmm. If you're answering no to any of these questions, just keep track of how many no's you had. Right. All right. So we're going to whip through some of these questions. So we're looking for the no's. Looking for the no's. So just, just think, just say yes or, you know, thinking no. Uh, Number one, I hear from my advisor at least once a year, emails don't count. So yes or no. Uh, Number two, I can call or email my advisor and get a response in 24 hours or so. Mm -hmm. Yes or no. Number three. My advisor conducts herself or himself as a provider of advice, not a seller of products.
0: Hmm.
1: Yes or no. That's important. Yeah. Number four, my advisor has asked me questions about life, goals, and aspirations. Hmm. Number five, my advisor makes me feel like I'm a valued client. Number six, my advisor has gone through some sort of financial planning process with me. Number seven, my spouse's views and goals are addressed. Number eight, my advisor is like a coach offering support and trying to get me to improve my financial habits. Hmm. Number nine, my advisor covers matters beyond investments like debt, home ownership, taxes, estate planning. Number 10. My advisor built my portfolio with the goal of meeting my financial goals more than meeting a target return, target rate of return. Number 11, I have a clear understanding of what I have in my portfolio and why. Number 12, my advisor has talked me out of a panic selling in a down market. Mm. <laughs> Number 13, my advisor has explained the cost of owning the investment products I own and how it compares. Number 14, my advisor considers all options for my portfolio and doesn't hustle in house products. Number 15, my advisor understands my tolerance for losing money because he or she has asked me about this in detail. Hmm. Number 16, My advisor has helped me understand that not everything in my portfolio will make money at the same time.
0: Wow. That's a good one too. Yeah.
1: Number 17, my advisor is a simplifier. I come out of interactions with greater clarity rather than a bunch of terms I have to look up online. Mm. Mm. And finally, number 18, my advisor owns it when things don't go according to plan and makes adjustments. Mm. Okay. So. If you had four no's or fewer, you're getting solid value. You're on track there. Right. If you had seven no's or fewer, mm-hmm. not bad. You're doing well. If you had 11 no's, mm, you're just okay. Yeah. I think there's room for improvement for sure. If you had uh, 13 no's, then it's definitely weak. Yeah. Very bad. And if you had uh, if you had fifteen no's or more, run. See you later. It's time to get out. <laughs> you know, it's
0: interesting as you're running through that stuff, and I'm keeping track. Yeah. Um, to me, that's the difference between a bank and a financial planner.
1: Yeah, and I think that this is something. And where I don't want to label are, the
0: banks, but yeah, that's that's yeah. the difference when you. That's what you get when you get a financial planner.
1: This is something that uh, is going. To, I think people are going to become more and more aware of as as a national initiative. Something called CRM two, which stands for the Client Relationship Model Phase Two, is all about disclosure of understanding what are we actually paying for the services and the products that we've got. So, mm-hmm. in most institutions this year, either they may some may have done it already at the beginning of the year. For first quarter, second quarter, but by the end of the third quarter, everybody will be seeing on their statements, how much am I paying for the products that I've got? Mm-hmm. The, the, the one area that will be excluded from that are insurance products. So right. if you had insurance um, segregated funds or guaranteed investment funds, the insurance industry is not required to disclose that information yet. So there's, unfortunately it's not industry wide, but I think that part will come as well.
0: Is there more conversation about rates in market times like this, when when returns are a little lower than they have been historically, is that when people start, you know, definitely, rates?
1: Definitely, definitely uh, costs and the rates that you're paying in terms yeah. of fees are more, much more uh, prevalent when periods, when things aren't going well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny people don't. Com- if you're making ten percent and you're paying two percent, people don't, don't really yeah. compl- complain too much. Yeah. But if you're making minus two percent and you're paying two percent, yeah, <laughs> that's different. Then you that's suddenly different. feels like it, this doesn't seem to be working out yeah. for me. By yeah.
0: the way, I didn't answer no to any of those questions. Fantastic that's cuz I'm using Don and Andy. All right, uh, let's leave it at that. Uh, we are plan well we won't leave it at that. We still got another segment to go, yeah. but if you want to call and leave a message 905-529-7165. That's 905-529-7165. As well, don't forget about the website andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. And of course, you can access old archived shows there. You can also ask a question via the listener inquiry button. Again, 905-529-7165. Gonna take a quick break here. We're coming right back. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Andy Lister and Don Fox are here from Investors Group Financial Services, Inc. You can call them now and leave a message at 905-529-7165. And don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. You can check out old shows there or even ask a question via the listener inquiry button. We're talking about emergency funds this break.
1: Yeah, and there's something that comes up all the time with our clients is that we always want to address what do you have set aside for emergency? emergency. Yeah. And as my clientele has matured over the years, what I've come to realize is there's also the point where people might have too much in yeah. an emergency reserve and we'll talk a little bit about that too. So really the What I've also realized is based on your age and your stage of life, your capacity to build an emergency fund is either it's much easier or it's very difficult. And I was just sharing the story off air about, uh, you know, my daughter needing a a car repair, you know, a $450 Mm -hmm. repair that wipes out her emergency yeah. fund and now you're at ground zero and it feels <laughs> like it's deflating because you're yeah. now you know starting all over again. Um, but you know what? She's not alone because it, apparently, and I was just like reading about a, um, a survey that was done in 2015 by Polera, a strategic insights firm. 44%, so we're getting close to half of Canadians, 44% of Canadians have less than $5,000 set aside for unexpected expenses. And 25% of working Canadians are living paycheck to paycheck with no emergency cash at Mm -hmm. all. Uh, and so if it sounds like you, you're probably kind of stressed out because building that, that emergency fund, it's, it feels like an impossible task. How the heck do you actually do it and stick to it? And it's not easy. The first thing is thinking about, well, how much, what's reasonable the rules of thumb here come into play and generally it's about three to six months of your take home income, Mm -hmm. your after tax income. Mm -hmm. And so an example is if you had a $90,000 a year income in Ontario, you're going to pay about $21,000 in tax. That means you got 69,000 left over. It's about 5,750 a month. Mm -hmm. So at the low end, you'd have around 17,000 of, emergency reserve. Wow. At the high end, it could be as much as $34,000. And, uh, and the, the question is, I guess, is how do you do it? How do you get there and how do you build that up? I think the first thing, obviously, is starting with a target. So what is the amount that we need? And I think, again, based on stage of life, there are so many demands for our cash in in, in terms of being able to pay for things, pay off debts and et cetera, that that emergency reserve often ends up being a line of credit. Yeah. And I'm going to talk about, that, I'm about, gonna, that. Gonna yeah. talk about that as well. Um, so the first thing, once you determine how much, and then you can look at, well, how much can I set aside on a monthly basis, realistically? If it's $50 a month and you've got to get to 17,000, that's going to be a lot. But again, remember, if you're someone earning 90,000 a year, you're going to have you're going to have resources. You should be able to find that money to begin mm. to set it aside. Determine how much it is each month that you can set aside. Now you got to target how many months is it going to take me to get there and set up an authorized automatic payment to have this money taken out of your bank account and set aside into mm. a separate account altogether. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that too is how to keep it separate so you don't tip uh, dip into it. Um, number four, trim your unnecessary bills. So... We have discretionary items in our budget every month. It could be eating out. It could Mm -hmm. be takeout. It could be, maybe you could carpool instead of taking the car all the time. Maybe it's um, uh, public transportation that you could be taking. Maybe there's a way to reduce your household costs, trimming back on your cable bill, you if you put your mind to it there are places where we can find money um i used to joke about the change your change that sits around on the top of your desk at the end of each day putting that aside into a jar is a great way to, to start to build it too what not to do well the line of credit, I'm going to call that the gateway credit drug. The mm-hmm. line of credit is really, if you're relying on that for your emergency fund and constantly going to it, it quickly becomes uh, quickly becomes a situation where you may start to then, if you don't, if another emergency comes along, yeah. now it goes on to a credit card, or mm-hmm. now, so now you're actually getting into consumer debt, which has a really high interest rate associated with it. So. Building that discipline in to create the, uh, to create that, um, that emergency fund is so key. Um, the next thing is keeping it out of sight mm-hmm. and how do you keep it? How do you make it grow? One of my favorite things is what's called a cashable GIC. You can build that up in terms of being able to have it earn a high rate of interest right now, a cashable GIC, one and a quarter percent. You have to leave it in there for 90 days. After 90 days, you can cash it out anytime you want, mm-hmm. uh, money market funds are good, even a high interest savings account, but separate and away from your regular banking. Okay. Otherwise it's too easy to dip yeah. it in for the vacation or the extras that come along. I need time an emergency time. vacation. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think that the... Uh, you know, can you have too much? Now, I've as my clients have matured and over the years, maybe they had a bank account here, a trust account over here, a credit union account over here. And then we start to actually aggregate them together and find out, well, you know, you have $70,000 between uh-huh. all of your different deposit accounts. your checking your savings, this, this bank, that credit union. And so I have to then pull them back and say, wait a second, here's what a normal emergency reserve should be. Yeah. What is the comfort level you have? What is the level at which you feel comfortable knowing I've got that much available? I could go in and get the cash. I could go in and write a check. I could go in. And some people might say, well, it's $20,000 or it's $10,000, but you'll have a number in your head, and that's a good comfort level. Mm-hmm. So, for those of you, the other thing that I see problems with is as those accounts build up, they also create estate planning problems if you have too much in short term accounts because the banks will lock that money up. They'll demand probate of your will, which is going to mean more time and more money. Mm -hmm. So be very careful with your uh, emergency reserves. You don't want them to be too small and you don't want them to be too big.
0: We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson, Andy Lister and Don Fox have been here from Investors Group Financial Services Inc. You can call now and leave a message at 905-529-7165 and don't forget to check out the website at andyanddon.com. That's andyanddon.com. You can listen to old shows and ask a question there via the listener inquiry button. Thank you gentlemen. We'll see yeah, you next thank you, week.
1: Scott.